KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Hilda Pacheco Taylor has raised millions of dollars for orphanages in Mexico. She started a nonprofit back in 1994 called Corazón de Vida. It sends money to 10 casas hogar, or orphanages that are spread across Tijuana and Ensenada, including this one. One of Hilda's directors, George Perez, recorded a little audio for us on his phone during a recent visit. In Mexico, orphanages get very little government support. So Hilda, who grew up in Mexico but now lives in Southern California, really depends on her cross-border contacts to keep money flowing from one side of the border to the other. Can you tell me about the very important connection between U.S.-based religious and civic groups and the orphanages in Tijuana? They're funded 100% by donations from individuals and organizations, mostly from the U.S. side. And they, again, provide, you know, most of the support to these orphanages. So it's a critical connection between the two. And look, Hilda isn't just some super benevolent person who randomly woke up one day and decided to swoop in and save a bunch of orphan kids in Mexico. For her, the issue is deeply personal. I remember us kind of holding hands through the fence and, and crying because we wanted to be with each other, but we, you know, we couldn't. So. From KPBS and PRX, this is Port of Entry, where we tell cross-border stories that connect us. I'm Alan Liliental. Today, we wrap up our series on cross-border love stories with a woman who completely changed her life, dropping everything she was doing so she could help take care of these kids instead. It's a story about kids who need love and one woman's mission to help them get that love. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. To understand just how personal this issue of orphan kids in Mexico is for Hilda, we've got to go way back. To the small one-bedroom house where she grew up with her mom, sister, two brothers, and dad. A man who didn't stick around for long. Dad had a problem with drinking. He kept getting progressively more and more violent with the drinking. My mom was very loving, and I know that My father used to beat her up pretty bad before he left because he was 
drunk all the time, super jealous. My mom was a very pretty lady. And eventually he, um, he just up and left. I always thought that, why did he leave? What did he not love me enough? So maybe I saw my father leaving the family as the pivotal point in our family. It was pivotal because Hilda's mom was an old school Mexican woman. And up until that point, her plan was to be a stay at home mom forever. My mother, you know, she was raised to, you know, be the homemaker and um, had not gone to school and just wasn't prepared to, to have to work to support the family. She started working, but well, she wasn't making very much money and couldn't make enough to pay for daycare for us. So she would leave me in charge of my siblings. Hilda was just eight years old, but she stepped up to the task and did her best to take care of her siblings so her mom could work. Do you remember those moments when you had to be alone as the, the person responsible for your siblings? Do you remember what that felt like and that responsibility? I remember kind of being on a little stool in front of the stove and, and heating up probably something that mom had made and feeding the kids. And it seemed to work for a little bit until we had a, an accident with one of my brothers. The accident happened one day while Hilda's mom was at work. Hilda remembers being inside the house cooking lunch while her sister and brothers were playing outside. And suddenly, she heard a bunch of kids from her neighborhood yelling and screaming. One of the other friends came in and started telling me that that my brother had fallen into the water tank. And I ran outside and I jumped to see the tank. It was a huge tank that kind of provided the water for the house because there was no um, city water. And I could see my brother in this huge tank. There was something across the top where he was trying to, to come up high enough to reach that to get himself out, and he couldn't. And I remember seeing him, and I remember thinking, there's nothing I can do. I didn't know how to swim. I didn't know. It seemed like it went on forever, but it must have been, you know, a, you know, just a few seconds or a minute. We were really fortunate that day that one of the, the men from the neighborhood came home early from work for whatever reason. And this man got out of the bus like a few blocks from us and he heard the commotion and he so he ran and didn't even ask anybody anything because he saw us all around the the tank and jumped and grabbed my brother and pulled him out hilda's brother was unconscious she remembers seeing someone put his little limp body in the back of a car and the sound of her neighbors and siblings screaming and crying as he was rushed to the hospital. I thought that he had died. And I remember thinking that it was, it was my fault. Thankfully, Hilda's brother pulled through. But 
but the accident would change the family's life forever. It was a close call, a super close call. He came home and I remember looking at him, it was at night, and thinking that it was a ghost. In the wake of the near-death experience, Hilda's mom was faced with an impossible decision. A decision no mom should ever have to make. She didn't have enough money to pay for childcare, but she had to keep working to pay for rent and food. That was the, the situation that had my mother decide that we were going to be better off in an orphanage. So on a warm spring day back in 1971, just a few months after Hilda's brother nearly drowned, the moment the family had been dreading arrived. She brought us to the orphanage and told us that we were going to stay there. Hilda says the most painful part was watching her mom leave. And then being separated from her siblings. Her younger siblings were put in one part of the orphanage, and she was put with the older kids. I remember us kind of holding hands through the fence and, and crying because we wanted to be with each other, but we, you know, we couldn't. But, you know, eventually we adjusted. Hilda says she pretty quickly realized things weren't going to be as bad as she feared. It was a beautiful place. This particular orphanage in La Mision has a lot of space. It almost looked like a playground in the middle that had swings and a lot of play areas that, you know, I hadn't seen other than at parks. And I remember them taking us to my room. And it was a, a room with a lot of beds and I had my own bed. So that was for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I have my own bed, I couldn't believe it. The best part was that I just felt like I could be a kid again. Hilda, of course, missed her mom, but her mom visited once a month, which was as much as the orphanage allowed. And in between those visits, Hilda says she really did feel like the directors of the orphanage loved her and treated her and her siblings like family. It was run by an American couple, both Christian missionaries. I remember we called them Mama and Papa Freeze. Freeze is their last name. Mama Freeze was very stern, very tall, blonde lady. And she always had this big updo. She managed that place like crazy. You thought, still my siblings and I, we talk sometimes about kind of our experience. And we always say that, oh, you know, Mama Freeze always knew if you were in trouble. Like you knew if you did something wrong, she knew. Even with a hundred kids in that orphanage, like it was, it was uncanny the way that she could just look at you or maybe it was her own guilt, <laughs> whatever it was. 
she carried all these keys you would hear the keys coming like if you were doing something you were there was a this fig tree that we weren't supposed to pick the figs from the tree but obviously you know we did when we thought nobody was looking and sometimes you'd be you know trying to get one of the figs and then you would hear the keys coming around the corner and go mama chica mama chica you know <laughs> and uh, and everybody would run and, and pretend like nothing's going on They were pretty amazing, amazing people. Papa Freeze was just, you know, he would just sit on a bench and just give everybody love, you know? It was um, pretty amazing to have that kind of care. But even with all that love and care, Hilda never stopped planning her exit. As the oldest sibling, she says she felt personally responsible for fixing things. I was happy at the orphanage, but my entire time at the orphanage, my focus was on trying to get my family back together. Hilda eventually came up with a solid plan. And at the age of 16, she had her mom sign her power of attorney so she could leave the orphanage instead of waiting until she was 18. Hilda says she wanted to get out, get a job, and help her mom earn enough money so they could get her sister and two brothers out of the orphanage too. Mama and Papa Freeze, though, weren't on board. They kept saying, hey, we can send you to college and we can help you, but I I couldn't see past wanting to leave and be with my family and and have my my whole family together again, so. So as soon as she turned 16, Hilda left. It was 1978, and by this point, her mom had immigrated to the U.S., where she could make a lot more money than she could in Mexico. Hilda immigrated, too, and went to live with her mom in Santa Ana, California. But when she got there, she realized there was a lot of work to do before her siblings could join them. When I arrived, it was a three-bedroom condo that had over 20 people living in it. And, you know, that was the way they had to live because nobody made very much money. Hilda immediately got to work. She took on multiple jobs and saved enough money so she and her mom could get a place with enough room for her three siblings. And a whole two years later, it finally happened. Hilda and her mom rented a one-room studio with a kitchenette. They had to get a roommate to afford it, so the place was super crowded. But they had each other. We struggled a lot, but to me it was worth it. What were some of the biggest challenges or struggles y'all faced in those years? The only thing we could afford was those smaller apartments, but then there were so many of us that when the landlords would find out that there were so many of us living, usually they would kick us out. So we had to then look for another place and then initially say there's only two of us or three of us and then after they would find out that there was six or seven or eight of us um you know same thing we kept moving quite a bit and uh, i remember we rented one time a big house a very nice three-bedroom house with two other families so that we could all share the rent we ended up having 
the garage kind of made into a room and two or three times I was at work and and I would get a call from the police that you know somebody had called the police because we had too many people living in the house so having to deal with all of that was always stressful I remember getting one of those calls one day and and just breaking down at work and it's like I don't know what to do At this point, Hilda had been working at a jewelry store for years. Her boss saw her breaking down one day and offered to help. He told her he'd loan her enough money for a down payment on a house. That way, Hilda and her mom would be in control and no more landlord problems. So they did just that. They borrowed the money and bought a small house. Do you feel like that was the first time you found some kind of stability and relief? Yeah. Yeah, finally, that was that was the time that we could just relax. That was when our, our luck changed for the better. It wasn't long before Hilda took that luck right back to the orphanage where she started. Stick with us. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. So Hilda eventually worked her way into a great job at a consulting firm in Orange County. She got married had kids of her own, bought a nice house. She was living a pretty successful Southern California life. But in 1993, her life took a sharp turn in a new direction because she got the urge to go back to Mexico to see the orphanage she came from. It's almost like wanting to go back home, you know? But... I had no idea what I was in for. I was just, it was just supposed to be a visit. I had no idea. I remember, you know, coming in and we wanted to do something special for the kids, like do a little, you know, bring some candy or something. And the first thing that I remember was that, you know, the place didn't look as nice as it did when I was there. Hilda says the buildings were just totally broken down. Everything was shabby and just sad. And um, we came probably around 11 in the morning, so soon it was lunchtime. And when we went into the, the dining room and saw what they were serving for lunch, it just it, it hit me really hard because I, I saw that they had something like beans and potato chips or beans and something very, very simple like that. And the director was saying that that's all they had to to feed the kids that day.
It turns out that the American missionaries who ran the place when Hilda was there had retired. And when they left, so did most of the U.S. donors. So things were dire. And the Mexican director that was there started telling us that they hadn't paid the staff, the few staff members that were left, had not paid them in six months. And they kept cutting their electricity because they couldn't pay the electricity. So then they would run around trying to get donations to pay that. When Hilda heard that, she decided right then and there that she had to do something. I said, if other people were doing it for me, I'm going to do it for these kids. Hilda says it wasn't even a choice for her. This was her home, and it needed help. I compare it to, you know, any any other person that grew up in a, in a normal household, in a normal home, realizing later in life what your parents did to support you. You know, the fact that your parents had to work and, and sacrifice so that they could pay for rent and food and, and care. So that it was very similar to that for me. Hilda had no idea how she was going to get the money. She just knew she had to get it. Hilda went back to Orange County and the very next day started talking to her co-workers and really everyone she knew, telling them about this orphanage down in Mexico that needed help. And at first, she wasn't getting a ton of traction. One thing she kept hearing was that people would rather help kids on this side of the border. And then we would, I would get people that would say, why isn't Mexico taking care of their own kids, you know? Eventually, though, Hilda found her superpower. Up until this point, Hilda had spent her entire adult life keeping her past a secret. And in part because she lived in a place like Orange County, where glitz and glamour are everywhere, she had gone out of her way to hide her past. I didn't know how people were going to react, and I didn't know how they were. I didn't want them to see me any differently. This was an all-English-speaking company, and I was only a Spanish-speaking person. I spoke English, but with a heavy accent, and I wasn't as fluid in my speaking. So I already kind of had that as a little bit of an issue in trying to assimilate and be part of the team. And in, in back of my mind, initially, I was thinking, okay, if I tell them that I grew up in an orphanage, now they're going to see me as, you know, something less, you know, in, in a sense. And that was my fear. But she finally did work up the courage to share her personal story. And immediately, she saw how she could turn her pain into power. I had to tell them about my past, my background, and about the fact that I grew up in an orphanage. I hadn't told anybody that. I was in a, you know, obviously a new country, learning a new language and trying to assimilate and definitely not wanting anyone to feel sorry for me. So it was uh, always nerve wracking. I could never get through my story without crying. But 
it was really the best thing that I could have done because right away, everybody wanted to help. From that point on, it was an easy sell. People started really wanting to be a part of Hilda's personal mission to get the orphanage back up on its feet. What have you learned about how sharing your story allowed you to do so much more? Sometimes being vulnerable, it opens you up a lot more to receive what you're supposed to receive. And sometimes it takes that. So just one year after Hilda's trip to visit the orphanage, she started putting all her energy into raising money. She launched Corazón de Vida and worked hard to make it grow. For seven years, we focused on the one orphanage where I grew up and, you know, fundraising and supporting that orphanage. And then eventually we added another orphanage and then another. So today we support 10 orphanages and those orphanages provide a loving home to over 500 children. Seven of those orphanages are in Tijuana and uh, three in the Ensenada area. Because sharing her personal story proved to be so powerful, Hilda implemented a fundraising strategy early on that relies on personal connections. In non-COVID times, her nonprofit actually takes potential funders on cross-border bus tours. We've done that for 26 years. So every month, at least one bus trip, 50 people, and having them connect with the kids and then decide, okay, this is a, a charity I want to support, becoming monthly sponsors, or helping in other ways, whatever ways they can. The money Hilda's nonprofit raises covers the basics at the orphanages they support. It pays for salaries, electricity, water, and other bills. Hilda says by doing that, they help free up the people who run the orphanages so they can go well beyond the basics. That's been a huge focus of ours because we know that if the directors of the orphanage are worried about whether they're going to be able to feed the kids or pay their utilities or, you know, cover the basics, they're not going to be present to give the love and attention to the kids that they need. Hilda says it's easy for her to feel deeply connected to the kids she helps support because in their faces, she sees her brothers and sister and she sees herself. She says she really wants each kid to find success the way her family did. And every time they do find success, Hilda just couldn't feel any prouder. Two of our alumni are working in Ensenada, in one's a nurse and another one's a doctor. And they're both working COVID in Ensenada and helping one for a naval hospital and the other one for a hospital there in Ensenada. So it's pretty amazing to see, you know, the difference that these kids are, are making.
Hilda's mom passed away in 1999. So fortunately, she did get to witness the huge difference Hilda is making in these kids' lives. But no matter how well things turned out for the family, Hilda says her mom still had a hard time letting go of the guilt she carried from surrendering her kids. It was very, very tough. I think that she always lived with that, you know, kind of hanging over her head. But you had you had a conversation with her that kind of gave her some relief and absolved her. Do you remember that conversation that you had with her? I invited her to dinner and we started talking about life in the orphanage and and I told her, I said, I know that you've felt bad for having to do what you did, but I want you to know that it's the biggest gift that you could have given us. I want you to know that we are who we are today because of the sacrifice you made. She started crying. I started crying. But I think she understood. Next time on Port of Entry. Tijuana, I think most of my inspiration is from the lifestyle here from this uh, border city. A little taste of the early electronic music that shaped legendary Tijuana musician Ramona Mezcua, better known as Bostich of Norte Collective. Port of Entry is written and produced by Kinsey Moreland. Emily Jankowski is the co-producer and director of sound design. Elisa Barba edited this episode. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. And look, Port of Entry is mostly made possible by listeners like you. The best way to support us is by becoming a sustaining member of KPBS, the public radio station where we work. So take a minute, go to kpbs.org slash donate and become a member today. I'm Alan Niliental. Thank you for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.